As we remain standing, we're turning back to Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, if you want to listen and hear the Word, let's do so with attentive ears, attentive ears and an open mind and an open heart. We have to let the Lord speak to us His will. It is not for us up to tell God how He should be. It is not for us to argue with God, even on passages that are difficult, which this one is, even thinking about the strong and even perhaps controversial language that our Lord used on this occasion. I would like to back us up to verse 1 so we can remain balanced in the context as we now focus on verse 6 of Matthew 7. Now hear the word of God. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank that is in your own? For how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would send your spirit that we might spiritually discern those things that can only be spiritually appraised and send your spirit into our mind and to our hearts that we might apprehend and embrace And love what you love and think your thoughts after you. For your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. And so we ask that you would remove the foolishness of our hearts. That we might see and embrace your righteous truth. And pray that you would bring forth much fruit from our lives. Even from this message that we meditate on today. In Jesus name. Amen. may be seated. Last Lord's Day, as we considered the text before us, particularly verses 1 through 5, this is the preceding context, and I believe does go with this verse 6. Verse 6 seems to be somewhat by itself, and some translators have focused it that way. I do not believe it is so. I believe it's the other side of the coin of verses 1 through 5. And here... In the first portion, we have some exhortation to us not to judge. And here, in verse 6, we have an exhortation to us to judge. Both are true. As we considered the preconditions for even this that we consider this, this morning even to make proper discernments and proper judgments, the Lord has commanded us, first of all, to stop judging as though we were already doing it. That's the form of the Greek verb. He has to get us back to zero before we can move forward in making godly judgments which take maturity, spiritual maturity. In order to do so, we have to stop considering the little sins of other people for the moment, to get the big sins out of our own lives. One of which is unrighteous judgments. We have to deal first with our own hypocrisy, and then once we have dealt well with ourselves, we've been strict with ourselves and gracious with others, we are now in a better posture to begin making biblical and sound discernments which we are commanded to make. What the Lord has commanded us to do in this text this morning sounds a bit shocking, especially coming from our Lord's mouth. So let's consider what He's doing here. He first gives us a command, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not cast your pearls before swine. These are detestable animals that the Lord has shockingly used in this instruction. Dogs and swine. These were unclean and detestable by the Jews. And since his audience was primarily the Jews, he is giving them in their context and how they're going to hear something that should shock them 
and something that they need to contemplate. Dogs are used in the Bible as something of a contemptuous character. These, in the context of the first century, in which Jesus was preaching, dogs were not man's best friend. They were not considered that companion in the way that we have them in our homes, and we love them, and we train them, and truly they are a blessing in that way. But that is not how they were viewed in the ancient day, in particular in this context of Judaism. Even Goliath used that. Am I a dog that you come out me with your sticks? It's a very contemptuous kind of statement. And the character oftentimes of which dogs are being associated with is that base character. Nothing could be worse for a person than for his body to be devoured by the dogs. And the Lord through Elijah told the wicked king Ahab, in the place where the dogs licked the blood of Naboth, they shall lick your blood. And likewise to Jezebel, he said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. This was a very uh, base and contemptuous thing. Dogs in Palestine were primarily scavengers. They're not like our domesticated pets today. They're very close to thinking about a hyena who are classified as carnivores, and they would go around feeding on just the, the garbage and the refuge. It acts a little bit more like what we consider coyotes today, which are very much a nuisance in all of the southeastern United States, and they travel in packs, scavenging food, and even taking care of things that we detest. Now, the swine... That was also a very derogatory term because it was, to a Jew, something that represented one of the most unclean animals. And as they had clean and unclean uh, laws that were separating them out as a people different from the Gentiles, uh, the swine represented something very detestable to the Jew. They were also a scavenger and sometimes allowed to roam even within the city limits, just eating and scavenging what they could. And a pig was in stark contrast to that which was holy. It's the opposite end of the spectrum. So dogs and swine were both used particularly by Hittites and other pagans in sacrificial religious rites where they sacrificed dogs and swine. And yet together they represent some of the most detestable animals to the Jews. And Jesus here, speaking to that particular primary audience, he uses these two detestable animals to liken them to certain kinds of people. And he's not likening them here to Gentiles. Who were seen in the eyes of every Jew to be like them. That's not what he's doing. No, Jesus was likening these creatures to those who disdain truth and the holy things of God, and who resists God's precious treasures. And in his day, in his ministry, upon the earth, in the audience to whom he would address, the Jews, by and large, would be those swine and those dogs. Now the prized treasure that he said, he said, first of all, one of the prized treasures is that which is holy. Now, you don't give that which is holy to dogs. Holy refers to sacredness, to sacred things of God. There are common things, but when it is set apart unto God, it becomes holy and it is seen to be sacred and it has a, a particular status to it. The gospel is holy. Because it is holy truth by which we are saved. And here of a holy God and a holy Redeemer and a holy High Priest, the Lord Jesus. The doctrines of the Scripture are holy. They are truth. It is the holy Bible that we have. See? It even says that. Oh my. That's not inspired. But the concept certainly is true. 
It is holy scriptures. It is the holy writ of God because it is God's holy word from a holy father and a holy God and a holy creator that is given to us vile fools. God's wisdom and the knowledge of Christ are holy. Worship is holy, and that is why we worship God in the beauty of holiness. Because all of these things that are holy represent the very nature of God Himself. Do not give that which is holy to the dogs. The other thing here that is very precious that we have to be careful with and be mindful and stewards with are are the pearls. The pearls represent the very fine spiritual gifts of God. A pearl is one of the most ancient symbols of perfection and was one of the most precious gemstones that one could own. In fact, the kingdom and parables later would be likened unto this pearl of a great price. So Jews immediately recognized and knew the identity of the value of pearls. And here it's these very fine spiritual gifts from God. These are, this is not the kind of thing you throw before a, an unclean, unholy brute beast like a, a pig. Now the prohibition in this particular exhortation is do not give that which is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before the swine. That's what we are commanded to do or not to do. There are some people with whom God warns us not to give His precious, valuable, holy things. It's not only fitting, but it will actually bring dishonor upon God and cause God's name to be blasphemed when His treasures and His gifts are mocked and scorned by fools. There's some fun examples that I could probably illustrate on one side of the equation or another, the foolishness of which is indicative of our old nature, and every one of us have residue of this in our lives still. But back in the day, an eloquent authority of the United States declared that the introduction of the railroad would require the building of many insane asylums since people would be driven mad with the terror of the sight of locomotives running across our country. In Germany, it was proved by the experts that if trains went at the frightful speed of 15 miles an hour, that blood would spurt from the travelers' noses and passengers would suffocate when going through tunnels. And the most expressive form of of transportation in Germany this day is the train. We have trains that now exceed 300 miles per hour Someone was not quite the wise in that. In fact, even the, the, the big train guy in our nation, Commodore, or they called him Commodore, Cornelius Van Vanderbilt, who actually sold all of his shipping uh, in order to put all of his eggs in one basket, and that was the railroad, would end up dismissing Westinghouse when Westinghouse approached him for the concept of air brakes on the locomotives. And he said, I have no time to waste on fools. Speaking of Westinghouse and his invention. A Boston newspaper in 1865 reported the following. Quote, and this is right out of the newspaper. A man about 43 years of age, giving the name of Joshua Coppersmith, has been arrested for attempting to extort funds from ignorant and superstitious people by exhibiting a device which he says will convey the human voice any distance over metallic wires. He calls the instrument a telephone, which is obviously intended to imitate the word telegraph and win the confidence of those who know the success of the latter instrument. 
Well-informed people know that it is impossible to transmit the human voice over wires, as may be done by dots and dashes and signals of the Morse code. The authorities who apprehended this criminal are to be congratulated, and it is hoped that punishment will be prompt and fitting, and that it may serve as an example to other conscienceless schemers who enrich themselves at the expense of their fellow creatures, end of quote. <laughs> now, who was the fool? Now, God says, don't subject my gospel, my holy things, my doctrine, and all of my precious pearls to fools. Now, what he is not saying is he is not saying do not give the gospel to unbelievers or sinners because how will anybody be saved? There are different kinds of fools, just like there's a different kind of animal between a swine and a dog. And we need to understand how this text applies to us. This is a command that you do not find a recipe to follow. This takes wisdom and discernment, which also requires your spiritual maturity. It requires you to have the beam out of your own eye. And it requires you to have that beam out of your own eyes so you don't allow God's things to be trampled underfoot as you continue with fools and giving them the precious things of God. You are commanded not to do that. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought we're supposed to give the gospel and expound the whole truth and show them the word of God. And yes, we are to lead people to Christ. But until they have Christ, they will not understand the deep things of God of which they oftentimes want to argue over. So you need to make wise decisions. And each case has to be considered in itself. Do not go on giving holy things and precious things to fools. As I was meditating on this last night, I'm thinking, how can we be helped a little bit in understanding what this is like? Because we come from a very evangelical, evangelistic kind of Bible-believing culture in America that just believes that everything is fair game, and it's always fair game to everybody uh, without any kind of restraint, and we are just to continue to plead and plead and plead and plead, and yet we are not observing the exhortation here. So as I began thinking about this, I remember back in when I was in seminary, I had an assignment that we were having to look through all of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, which would include Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon and Lamentation. These are wisdom literature. This wisdom is often in poetry form, and the design of that literature is to give us wisdom. So I'm thinking that would be a pretty good thing to help us to learn. So I went back into a word study that I had, and I'll share a little bit of the dust of the workshop with you this morning, which I try to refrain from doing. But I will share with you six words that are used in that wisdom literature, and most often in the book of Proverbs, that is translated fool. And as we look at the word fool, we express Six words, or the Bible reveals six words, it takes us all the way from one end of the spectrum of just a simple, naive, open-minded kind of person, all the way to the other end of, it, of this spectrum where you have scorners who are absolutely um, violent in their foolishness, and everywhere in between. But before we get into those things, I want to tell you and inform you that before Christ saved you, you were one of these fools, if not multiple of these fools, and you had the characteristics of foolishness in you, just like I did. When we consider a compass whose needle has to point north or else we will not have the right direction, every one of our lives come into this world rent with sin and our compass never ever pointed north, and we have absolutely no clue what direction we are to head. And that is true for every one of us sinners who came into this world without Christ. We are born foolish, and we are fools. 
Because we have not chosen God. And in our own hearts, we said there is no God. And you say, well, wait a minute, I never said that. In your heart, you certainly did when you disdained the things of God. And even to this very day, there's an element inside of you that still rebuffs the wisdom of God and the truth of God and the holy things of God. And this is part of that old tabernacle that we still struggle with and we still have characteristics and residue of that old self. And you will find yourself described in one of these six, if not more than one of these six terms. And this is a hard thing. So realize today, even in the church, to some degree, we still have to practice this particular thing with each other. But we certainly have to practice it with scorners and with navels and other kinds of fools. So let's try to learn some wisdom by turning our attention to six words. On the one end of the spectrum, we have a Hebrew word that is pethy. It is the Hebrew word that simply means open or uh, has a, a spaciousness. Now you think about the, the word openness and spaciousness reply, uh, applied to a pers- person, and it relates to a man who's just very simple. He's a simpleton. He is immature and one who is open to all kinds of enticements, open to all kinds of ideas. He does not have discrimination or discriminating judgment because he doesn't really discern very well. He's just kind of open. He's naive. He'll believe anything or most things. And on the one end, we have this kind of fool. This would be the kind of a fool that just doesn't take things very seriously. He's not very mindful. He's not very focused. He will not take the word of God or the doctrine or the worship or the rich things of God with even gravity or sobriety. He's a simpleton with life. He's very prone to follow after foolishness. He takes life so tritely and so lightly that there's no gravity to his thinking. He's open for all sorts of suggestions. He's the the guy who is always touting the things of the, the last book he read, always influenced. He always becomes that latest, greatest argument. He's simpleton. He's prone to follow after foolishness. He's the one that uh, Solomon would take his son and say, now you see that simpleton, that open-minded man who's following that harlot? He is going into the way of death. There's just no discernment there. After you've given a person like this the gospel, and you've worked with them, and you've encouraged them, and they continue just to go in the way of foolishness, You have to be careful not to continue giving them holy things. You continue to give them the gospel, yes. You continue to exhort them, but you've got to be careful to know when to stop lest they continue to trample under their feet the blood of the covenant. For this kind of fool, you don't answer any of their deep questions until they genuinely yield to the gospel. There's a second word of fool. Sikluth, and I'm only using those Hebrew words to differentiate between the, the, the different ones because they're often translated the exact same way and you won't see the difference in the English. The second word that is used for a fool in the wisdom literature usually expresses a lack of moral and spiritual sense. You, you would almost say he just has no... You've heard people say you don't have any common sense. Uh, there's such thing as just not having any common spiritual sense. And that would be descriptive here. He's one that acts out of fear. And, and he can be very rash in his behavior because he's not acting in confidence toward God, but really more in a fear and rashness of the implications or the, the situation or he lets fright drive him to rash kinds of behavior. 
He's devoid of knowledge to do good. And these people are often fear-driven. They act out of their fears rather than trusting God. They can be, but not always are, control freaks, always wanting to have control of their lives, and, and yet they are nervous types. They can be frightful and anxious and worrisome. And these, again, are, are, are fools. These might be ones who, when faced with godly counsel and wisdom, continue to make the choices away from what is right and sound to favor that which is rash or fear-driven. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to count the cost and pick up your cross and follow me. And if you're to pick up your cross and follow the Lord Jesus, you have to be willing to die for Him, and because you will be asked to die for Him, and He cannot be giving His holy things to fools. Another word for fool, very common in the Proverbs. Kisil or kasil refers to a fool that is a dullard. He's just dull and obstinate. Now, he's not mentally deficient. But he has the propensity. He just is, has a knack for making a bunch of wrong choices. His eyes are unable to see the proper way of good conduct. It's a way of life that is enticing to immature people who are destructive. It's like chasing youthful fancies, feeling the need to experience life for the sake of the experience. And this kind of fool is obstinate. He's very unteachable. He doesn't want to be taught because that would ruin his next experience. Or he wants to be self-expressive and he's going to be this kind of person that he's going to let you know what he's about. He's a natural contrarian. He always has this recoil in his spirit against those things, and he naturally just responds in contrary and kinds of these dull. He's obstinate. He instantly recoils, always wants to take the other side. He is confronted with arguments that he can't answer, but he's not interested in that, and so he doesn't back down. He's the kind of person that will not wrestle in earnest with the Scriptures, but rather find other people on the internet who may agree with his position in order to justify his obstinacy. He's not interested in learning wisdom because that might get in the way of the things he or she wants to do. This is the kind of person who's always learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Well, as we continue down this progression here, there's another fool whose name sounds like the word evil. Avil, and some say that's from an Arabic word that means to be thick. Thick-brained. I.e. stupid. <sighs> I know your moms and dads supposed to not tell your kids to call things stupid, but the Bible uses this particular word for fool to identify one who is stupid. The Psalms use it as well. This is one who denotes one who is morally deficient. Such a person is lacking in sense. He's generally corrupt. Not only thick-brained, but he is insolent in his posture, in his mindset. In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride, Proverbs 14.3 says, and that's our word. These are the kinds of people who are bullheaded. They don't have a lot of sense. And they see life very narrowly because they're only viewing it from their perspective. And then we go to the next word, which almost is self-explanatory. The word is Nabal. well illustrated in that fella by the 
man who bears that as his name. Who when David and his men were starved and they didn't have food or water and Nabal was rich with many goods, they went to seek to see if they could find a little food. And he was a fool. Was not wanting to share not even to help a brother or someone out, not willing to share a food that he had so much of. And there was no reason for him other than his stupidity and foolishness, and it almost cost him his life. In fact, it did, but God took care of him rather than David. This was one who was married to Abigail. And all we have to do is think of that Nabal to think about what this is. It's a senseless and vile person. Proverbs 17, 7 says, Excellent speech is not becoming a navel. Generally, this person is self-absorbed, and he is so self-absorbed, he becomes stupid in his actions. He is one who is angry. He's bitter. His wrath characterizes him, his spirit is not settled. And then the last one in the strongest form of a fool we have revealed in Scripture, often translated as a scorner, is the one lutz. It's used to describe a man who mocks at sin. The fool is a scorner. He is not merely a simpleton. He's not merely naive about these things, but he is dug in on his foolishness and he is hostile toward righteousness and godliness. He mocks at sin and he scorns the way of the righteous. He's odious to basically all kinds of people, not just Christians. He's just an odious kind of person. He is one to be avoided. Now, we are to give the gospel to these as well. But we are to protect God's holy things and his great pearls in doing so. A scorner is not merely prideful, he's blatantly arrogant. This fool can be very hostile and usually is. It's a kind of person who will take the holy things and the precious things and charge right after you because of them in order to ruin you or ruin the church or cause dissension within the church. Navels and scorners are the most hostile and dangerous types of fools. And you have to be able to discern between the dogs and the swine and between the navels and scorners and, and the, the simple open-minded people who are naive. The navels and scorners are ones who will try to divide the church. And they feel very proud and self-justified and satisfied when they can bring down ministers and cause divisions because they think they are doing so even for good causes, but they are just fools. There's so many internet fools today taking matters in their own hands, out of their own polity, making judgments that they don't have all the knowledge for, and running people under the bus in their own foolishness. Even in Christian churches today, there can be levels of foolishness, even among the regenerate, that we have to discern in order to protect what is godly and holy. I was in a pastor's office a number of years ago, early in my ministry, and he said, Miriam, I had a couple in my church sitting across the desk from me who were having severe marital problems, and he said... I had some information that I could share with them and some principles I knew would help them if I felt that they could receive it. But I did not give them that information because I knew that they would not. Now, the young pastor that I was, only a couple years in the pastorate, about 33 years of age, I went out of my head for the next several years scratching my head. See, why didn't he tell them? Why didn't he tell them what they needed to hear? That could have helped them. And if it didn't, he still had a clean conscience about it, and he did what he should have done. Why did he not do that? Because he was a very wise and mature pastor. I have learned from that over and over again that I realize that some people are not in a place to hear 
what they need to hear at the moment. Jesus even said to his disciples, I have much to tell you, but you cannot all bear it right now. And sometimes when you give certain truths to people that are not ready to receive or hear it, and sometimes we have to do that. But there is wisdom that must govern that situation because sometimes when we tell people what they need to hear and they are not ready for it, they can not only depreciate the truth, but they can turn after you and you are always, as a pastor, looking for another opportunity where God would soften them and make them ready to hear what they need to hear. There's a lot of wisdom in that and I have since embraced wholeheartedly my Elders counsel and wisdom and discern that in every pastoral situation I get into. Because I realize that I'm a fool in my heart sometimes too. And I realize that when someone tells me something I need to hear, if my, my life is not soft and living for the Lord, I can recoil against that truth and I can then discredit the messenger and I could throw the baby out with the bathwater and thank God that he has mercy on us even when we act that way. Paul, in confronting the Corinthians, said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you are not able to receive it. Even now you're not able to receive it. I've not given you the meat of the holy things. I've not given you even the great pearls because you would just trample them under your feet. And he's talking to the church. You first got to get these beams out of your eyes. You got to stop fighting and being divisive with your brother and stop hating them so. You got to stop taking them to court. You got to stop putting up with the infidelity. You've got to stop these things. And then if you do, you will see what great glory there is. But I can only give you milk right now. Writer of Hebrews saying the same kind of thing and Chapter 5, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And the point here is we need wisdom in knowing how to deal with people, every person, in every situation, with God's holy, reverent truth and His precious pearls of the kingdom. So when we consider the swine and the dogs in our text, we have to make discernments. Based upon those discernments, then we have to make decisions on what to do. And there is no recipe to follow. Once we give the gospel to the fool, we have to discern how far to go. We have to make pastoral decisions like this. Based on where people are in their spiritual lives, their receptivity to godly counsel, because there are simple ones, and there are hostile ones, and there are people all in between. Frankly, there are some subjects in which I will not go very far with some people simply because I sense that their heart is not really learning more deeply about God and His holiness, but rather arguing points. And I'm not going to do that. The Bible says the man of God should not strive. He cannot be a brawler, not only physically, but he can't be one as contentious with his words. And we've got to be careful not to be drawn into those kinds of things. For fools who have hardened themselves against the gospel and refuse to listen, we are told to shake our dust off of our feet and go on to the next city. We have to understand there are many today who will continue to delve into the academic aspects of orthodoxy and the gospel. But they have no heart. It becomes a mental academic exercise of arguing points and logic. And with that, they greatly dishonor the gospel. Striving over endless genealogies and arguments that don't go anywhere. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, do not entertain those things. We have the Lord's explanation given to us there, the latter part of verse 6, where he says, lest they trample them under their feet and they turn and tear you to pieces. 
So he gives us two reasons here why we're not to do that. And one is the implicit reason. As we give holy things to dogs who are scavengers, he'll treat that like all of the other refuge that he has been living off of. So in effect, what we do is we offer the truth to a dog like that and he treats it just like all of the other garbage. Oh, he might toss it around and deal with it a little bit, but it's not honoring to God. The idea of casting the pearls before a swine is if you're giving swine the grain and say a kernel of corn and in the midst of it, all he's about is just consumption and all he can think about is all of himself. It's all about the food and you throw a pearl before a swine like that. He's going to pick it up and he's just going to toss it and he's going to go right for the corn and trample it under his feet. and He's just going to be careless. He doesn't care because it doesn't feed him. It doesn't nurture his stomach. It's not going to help him grow. And so he has this greatest thing that he has no regard for whatsoever. Dogs and pigs do not appreciate the holy things. And a pig is not going to appreciate a very fine pearl. They don't see any real value in this, so they're going to treat it like every other refuge that they scavenge on, or even worse. Another explicit reason here that he gives us are are in these responses. A swine is going to trample them. Dogs will turn and give the giver by tearing him apart. So on the one hand, there is a desecration of the holy things. On the other hand, there is a destructive behavior toward the giver. And we have many biblical examples where we have to make discernments. We have to make judgments. We have to make decisions. In fact, Jesus said in John 2.24, Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in men. Jesus did not reveal much in the very city he grew up in, Nazareth, because the people had no faith. They tried to kill him, tried to throw him off a cliff. And so he left the city because their faith was little, deciding not to bring even further condemnation and judgment upon them because to whom much has been given, you're going to be held in account for it. And so even in a gracious way, mercifully, in the light of the eternal judgment, did not do many works there because of their unbelief. Even Paul had to leave the Jews to go minister to the Gentiles and was very vocal about the reasons why he did it. Proverbs 9, 7 says, He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Now, I want to close with four applications. I said that word close. You're going to have to hang in there for a few more minutes, all right? Four applications. Number one, we ought to be diligent to give the gospel to sinners, but when one repeatedly disdains and rejects the good and holy things of God, don't waste your time anymore, for they will dishonor God's holy things will eventually turn upon you to destruction. Jesus never went chasing any of the sinners that turned around and walked the other way. He didn't chase after the rich young ruler, even though the Scripture said he loved him. And we think that we've got to, in all of our power and might, save the world. When Jesus says, I thank you, God, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed your blessed pearls to the babes and those who are simple. It doesn't mean you don't pray for them. But you have to be careful in how much you commit to them the things of God. It does not mean that that person will not eventually be saved. But in the time and the place that you have, you have to make discernments. Lest you do dishonor to God, and lest you even harm yourself unnecessarily. A second application is, we must have a higher view of God's things so that we see them as precious and holy and things to be guarded and protected. We need to guard your own holiness You are holy. 
Don't let another destroy or damage what God is doing in your life. Protect it in your own life. Don't strive with men over holy things of God if they have no interest in these things. Proverbs 23, 9, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. Proverbs 26, 4, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Romans 6, 17 says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine and the learned, and avoid them. 2 Thessalonians 3.14, And if anyone does not obey our word of this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. 2 Timothy 3.5, Some have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Titus 3.10, Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition don't keep throwing the holy and the precious things before divisive fools we have to make some discernments we have to make some judgments we have to have wisdom on what to do with god's holy truth and it has to be so important to us that we want to guard and protect it from being blasphemed number three let us not play the part of a fool when we are confronted with sanctifying truth Let us not be like the dogs and swine in our own responses to God's Word and holiness. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. A fool despises his father's instruction. A fool has no delight in understanding, but expresses his own heart. Do you not see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Do not act like the swine and the dogs when you're confronted with truth and when someone is trying to take the speck out of your eye who has removed the beam out of his own eye. Don't play the fool. And four, if you've ever heard the gospel and people have pleaded with you to follow Christ And all of the things that Christ has taught us to teach you. And you have repeatedly rejected the gospel and all that it envelops. And you have repeatedly rejected the very teachers and the authorities in the word that said you must submit to. If you have consternation in your spirit, you are characterized like a fool. Perhaps maybe open-minded and simple or maybe hostile in your spirit. Maybe a dullard and thick-brained and spiritually stupid. Or maybe it's one who is so frightful and fearful of spiritual things that you retreat to your own little corner of security. But if you will not commit your life and your way and the entirety of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, be warned this day that your time is running out. And God's mercy is growing short. And that is one of the most sobering things each one of us has to examine our own hearts and see where we are with holy things and with the precious pearls of the kingdom. God's Spirit will not always strive with man. Judgment is pending and the wrath of God will rest upon us if we do not yield to the glorious righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can be turned to the Lord this day. We can be delivered from that foolishness. We can be delivered into a life of wisdom and and righteousness where we can start and begin in the glorious, joyful abode of our spirit for all of eternity. If we stop trampling the gospel under our feet and in our hearts, stop despising that which is wise and the very precious truths of the kingdom of God, we stop recoiling and resisting these things. Because God's truth is holy. God's kingdom gifts are precious. They are hallowed. They are to be guarded. They are to be treasured. They are cherished. And we are not to allow just anyone and everyone to continue to trample them under their feet 
without guarding them and sticking up for the name of the name of our God and King. Without defending His character and His presence and His holiness and the, and the things of His kingdom that He's been expounding for these three chapters. Because God's truth is representative of who He is and we are to guard it from fools. Likewise, we are not to be foolish in our own behavior, our own thinking, or when we are confronted with truth. Because Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes into the Father but through me. And when you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, there are some sobering realities here that we need to heed. And making these spiritual discernments require our spiritual maturity. And we confess that we are not the mature people that we should be. There's so much milk that we still have need for and we can't get on with the meat of so many things of the Word because we are dull in our lives, have not embraced the beauty and the glory of the gospel truth and who is behind it all. And we pray that you would convict each one of our hearts this day and that you would remove the foolishness of our hearts that still reside in these old dullard spirit. How thankful we are in the Lord Jesus Christ that that which wages a war in us between the flesh and the spirit, that there is a war to be waged and thankful that the spirit will win. We pray, Father, that you would keep us from being content with our foolish ways, our foolish thinking, our foolish decisions, our foolishness. And Lord, we ask that you would give us great discernment and humility as we have to address situations with people in all walks of life and all different areas and spheres and that we come in contact with. That we would give the gospel and we would be bold in so doing. But we also have the wisdom, whether it was like our Lord Jesus Christ who faced Pilate and he spoke to him about his kingdom. Or when he faced Herod and he spoke not a word. Lord, we need his wisdom to govern every situation so that we would honor you and that we would protect the holy, precious things of our God in a manner that would be pleasing to you. These are difficult things for us to know, Lord, and so we need your Spirit working in us and through us to do of your good will and your good pleasure. And we pray that you would guide us in these difficult applications, that we would be faithful to the gospel. And we pray this for the glory of our Lord Jesus. Amen.